0: Section twenty one of the History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul King, Mississauga, pjk.scripts.mit.edu, forward slash pkj. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson, volume one, chapter four of the progress of chemistry under paracelsus and his disciples part three to attempt to refute these wild notions of sylvius would be loss of time it is extraordinary and almost incredible that he could have regulated his practice by them and it is a still more incredible thing and exhibits a very humiliating view of human nature that these crudities and absurdities were swallowed with avidity by crowds of students who placed a blind reliance on the dogmas of their master, and were initiated by him into a method of treating their patients better calculated than any other that could easily have been devised, to aggravate all their diseases and put an end to their lives. If any of the patients of the iatrochemists ever recovered their health, well might it be said that their recovery was not the consequence of the prescriptions of their physicians but that it took place in spite of them it is a very remarkable circumstance and shows clearly that mankind in general had become disgusted with the dogmas of the galenists that iatrochemistry was adopted more or less completely by almost all physicians there were indeed a few individuals who raised their voices against it, but what is curious and inexplicable, they never attempted to start objections against the principles of the Iatrochemists, or to point out the futility of their hypothesis and their inconsistency with fact. They combated them by arguments not more solid than those of their antagonists. During the Presidency of Riolan, over the Medical College of Paris, that learned body set itself against all innovations. Guy Patton, who was a medical professor at the University of Paris and a man of great celebrity, opposed the chemical system of medicine with much zeal. In his Martyrologium Antimoni, he collects all the cases in which the use of antimony as a medicine had proved injurious to the patient. But in the year 1666, the dispute relative to Antimony, and particularly relative to Tartar Emetic, became so violent that all of the doctors of the faculty of Paris were assembled by an order of the Parliament under the presidency of Dean Vignon, and after a long deliberation it was concluded by a majority of ninety-two votes, that the Tartar Emetic and other antimonials should not only be permitted, but even recommended. Patton, after this decision, pretended no longer to combat chemical medicine, but he did not remain inactive one of his friends francis blondel demanded the resolution to be cancelled but his exertions were unsuccessful nor were the writings of Guillemot and mengeau who were also keen partisans of the views of Pétain, attended with better success in England, Iatrochemistry assumed a direction quite peculiar. It was embraced by a set of men who had cultivated anatomy with the most marked success, and who were quite familiar with the experimental method of investigating nature. The most eminent of all English supporters of Iatrochemistry was Thomas Willis, who was a contemporary of Sylvius. Dr. Willis was born at Great Bodmin in Wiltshire in 1621. He was a student at Christchurch College in Oxford, when that city was garrisoned for King Charles I. Like the other students, he bore arms for His Majesty, and devoted his leisure hours to the study of physic. After the surrender of Oxford to the Parliament, he devoted himself to the practice of medicine, and soon acquired reputation he appropriated a room as an oratory for divine service according to the forms of the church of england to which most of the loyalists of oxford daily resorted in sixteen sixty he became Sedleyan professor of natural philosophy and the same year he took the degree of doctor of physic he settled ultimately in london and soon acquired a higher reputation and a more extensive practice than any of his contemporaries he died in sixteen seventy five and was buried in westminster abbey he was a first-rate anatomist to him we are indebted for the first accurate description of the brain and nerves but it is as an iatrochemist that he claims a place in this work his notions approach nearer to those of paracelsus than to the hypotheses of van helmont and sylvius he admits the three chemical elements of paracelsus salt sulphur and mercury in all the bodies of nature and employs them to explain their properties and changes but he gives the name of spirit to the mercury of paracelsus he ascribes to it the virtue of volatilizing all of the constituent parts of bodies. Salt, on the other hand, is the cause of fixity in bodies. Sulfur produces color and heat, and unites the spirit to the salt. In the stomach there occurs an acid ferment, which forms the chyle with the sulfur of the ailments. This chyle enters into effervescence in the heart, because the salt and sulfur take fire together. From this results the vital flame, which penetrates everything. The vital spirits are secreted in the brain by a real distillation. The vessels of the testes draw an elixir from the constituent parts of the blood, but the spleen retains the earthy part and communicates a new igneous ferment to the circulating fluid. On this account the blood must be considered as a humor constantly disposed to fermentation and in this respect it may be compared to wine every humor in which salt sulphur and spirit predominates in a certain manner may be converted into a ferment all diseases proceed from a morbid state or action of this ferment and a physician may be compared to a wine merchant for like him he has nothing to do but to watch that the necessary fermentations take place with regularity and that no foreign substance come to derange the operation at this period the mania of explaining everything had proceeded to such a length that no distinction was made between dead and living bodies the chemical facts which were at that time known were applied without hesitation to explain all the functions and all the diseases of the living body according to willis fever is the simple result of a violent and preternatural effervescence of the blood and the other humors of the body either produced by external causes or by internal ferments into which the chyle is converted when it mixes with the blood the effervescence of the vital spirits is the source of quotidians; that of salt and sulphur produces continued fever and external ferments of a malignant nature produce malignant fevers thus the smallpox is owing to the seeds of fermentation set in activity by an external principle of contagion spasms and convulsions are produced by an explosion of the salt and sulphur with the animal spirits hypochondriacal affectations and hysteria depend originally on the morbid putrefactions of the blood in the spleen, or on a bad fermentable principle, loaded with salt and sulphur which unites with the vital spirits and deranges them. Scurvy is owing to an alteration of the blood, which may then be compared to vapid or stale wine. The gout is merely the coagulation of the nutritive juices altered by the acidified animal spirits, just as sulphuric acid forms a coagulum with carbonate of potash. The action of medicines is easily explained by the effects which they produce on the nourishing principles. sudorifics are considered as cordials because they augment the sulphur in the blood, which is the true food of the vital flame cordials purify the animal spirits and fix the too volatile blood willis disagrees with the other iatrochemists of his time in one thing he recommends bleeding in the greater number of diseases as an excellent method of diminishing unnatural fermentation Dr. Kroon, a celebrated fellow of the Royal Society, was another English iatric chemist who attempted to explain muscular motion by the effervescence of the nervous fluid, or animal spirits. It is not worth while to notice the host of writers, English, French, Italian, Dutch, and German, who exerted themselves to maintain, improve, and defend the chemical doctrines of medicine. The first person who attempted to overturn these absurd doctrines and to introduce something more satisfactory in their place was Mr. Boyle, at that time in the height of his celebrity. Robert Boyle was born at Young Hall in the province of Munster on the 25th of January, 1626. He was the seventh son and the fourteenth child of Richard, Earl of Cork he was partly educated at home and partly at eton where he was under the tuition of sir henry wotton at the age of eleven he travelled with his brother and a french tutor through france to geneva where he pursued his studies for twenty-one months and then went to italy during this period he acquired the french and italian languages and indeed talked in the former with so much fluency and correctness that he passed when he thought proper for a frenchman in sixteen forty two his father's finances were deranged by the breaking out of the great irish rebellion his tutor who was a Genevese, was obliged to borrow on his own credit a sum of money sufficient to carry him home on his arrival he found his father dead and, though two estates had been left to him, such was the state of the times that several years had elapsed before he could command the requisite sum of money to supply his exigencies. He retired to an estate at Stullsbridge in Dorsetshire. In 1654 he went to Oxford, where he associated himself with a number of eminent men, Dr. Willis among others, who had constituted themselves into a combination for experimental investigations distinguished by the name of the philosophical college this society was transferred to london and in sixteen sixty three was incorporated by charles the second under the name of the royal society in sixteen sixty eight mr boyle took up his residence in london where he continued till the last day of december sixteen ninety one assiduously occupied in experimental investigations on which day he died in the sixty-fifth year of his age we are indebted to mr boyle for the first introduction of the air pump and the thermometer into britain and for contributing so much by means of dr hook to the improvement of both his hydrostatical and pneumatical investigations and experiments constitute the foundation of these two sciences the thermometer was first made an accurate instrument of investigation by sir isaac newton in 1701 this he did by selecting as two fixed points the temperatures at which water freezes and boils marking these upon the stem of the thermometer and dividing the interval between them into a certain number of degrees all thermometers made in this way will stand at the same point when plunged into the bodies of the same temperature the number of divisions between the freezing and boiling points constitute the cause of the differences between the different thermometers. In Fahrenheit's thermometer, which is used in Great Britain, the number of degrees between freezing and boiling points of water is 180. In Réaumur's, it is 80, in Celsius's or the centigrade it is 100, and in Dr. Liesel's it is 150 but my reason for mentioning mr boyle here was the attempt which he made in sixteen sixty one by the publication of his sceptical chemist to overturn the absurd opinions of the iatro chemists he raises doubt not only respecting the existence of the elements of the peripatetics but even those of the chemists the first elements of bodies in his opinion are atoms of different shapes and sizes the union of which he gives origin to what we vulgarly call elements we cannot restrain the number of these to four as the peripatetics do nor to three with the chemists neither are they immutable but convertible into each other fire is not the means that ought to be employed to obtain them for the salt and sulphur are formed during its action by the union of different simple bodies boyle shows besides that the chemical theory of qualities is exceedingly inaccurate and uncertain because it takes for granted things which are very doubtful and in many cases directly contrary to the phenomena of nature he endeavours to prove the truth of these ideas and particularly the production of the chemical principles by a great number of convincing and conclusive experiments in another treatise entitled the imperfections of the chemical doctrines of qualities he points out in the second section the insufficiency of the hypotheses of Sylvius relative to the generality of acids and alkalies he shows that the offices ascribed to them are arbitrary, and the notions respecting them unsettled, that the hypotheses respecting them are needless and insufficient, and afford but an unsatisfactory solution of the phenomenon. These arguments of Boyle did not immediately shake the credit of the chemical system. In the year 1691, a chemical academy was founded at Paris by Nicholas de Blegny, the express object of which was to examine the objections of boyle which by this time had attracted great attention Boyle's experiments were repeated and confirmed, but the academicians, notwithstanding, came to the conclusion that it is unnecessary to have recourse to the true elements of bodies, and that the phenomena which occur in the animal economy may be explained by the predominance of acids and alkalis. Various other publications appeared, all on the same side. In Germany, Hermann Corinius, the most skilful physician of his time opposed the chemical theory and his opinions were impugned by olaus boritius who defended not only alchemy but the chemical theory of medicine with equal erudition and zeal toward the end of the sixteenth century chemists thought of examining the liquids of the living body to ascertain whether they really contained the acids and alkalies which had been assigned them and considered as the cause of all diseases but, at that time, chemistry had made so little progress, and such was the want of skill of those who undertook these investigations, that they readily obtained everything that was wanted to confirm their previous notions. John Verridae, a physician of Geneva, announced that he had found an acid in the saliva and the pancreatic juice, and an alkali in the gastric juice and the bile. But the most celebrated experiments of that period were those of Raymond Wiesens, undertaken in 1698, in order to discover the presence of an acid spirit in the blood. His method was, to mix blood with a species of clay called bol, and to subject the mixture to distillation, he found that the liquid distilled over was acid. Charmed with this discovery, which he considered as of first-rate importance, he announced it by letter to the different academies and colleges in Europe. Some doubts being raised about the accuracy of his experiment, it having been alleged that the acid came from the clay which he had mixed with the blood, and not from the blood itself, Vucenz purified the bowl from all the acid which it could contain, and repeated his experiment again. The result was the same, the acrid salt of the fluid yielded an acid spirit. It would be needless in the present state of our knowledge to point out the inaccuracy of such an experiment, or how little it contributed to prove that the blood contains a free acid. It is now well known to chemists that blood is remarkably free from acids, and that if we except a little common salt, which exists in all of the liquids of the human body, there is neither any acid nor salt whatever in that liquid. Michael Et Mueller at Leipzig, who was a chemist at some eminence in his day and published a small treatise on the science which was much sought after was also a zealous but his opinions were obviously regulated by the researches of boyle he denies the existence of acid and alkalies in certain bodies and distinguishes carefully between acid and putrid fermentation one of the most formidable antagonists to the chemical doctrine was dr archibald pitcairn first a professor of medicine at the university of leyden and afterwards of edinburgh and one of the most eminent physicians of his time he was born in Edinburgh on the twenty fifth of December sixteen fifty two. After finishing his school education in Dalkeith, he went to the University of Edinburgh, where he improved himself in classical learning and completed a regular course of philosophy. He turned his attention to the law and prosecuted his studies with so much ardour and intensity that his health began to suffer. He was advised to travel and set out accordingly for the south of France by the time he had reached paris he was so far recovered that he determined to renew his studies but as there was no eminent professor of law in that city and as several gentlemen of his acquaintance were engaged in the study of medicine he went with them to the lectures and hospitals and employed himself in this way for several months till his affairs called him home on his return he applied himself chiefly to mathematics in which under the auspices of his friend celebrated dr david gregory he made uncommon progress struck with the charms of this science and hoping by the application of it to medicine to reduce the healing art under the rigid rules of mathematical demonstration he formed the resolution of devoting himself to the study of medicine there was at that time no medical school in edinburgh and no hospital at which he could improve himself he therefore repaired to paris and devoted himself to his studies with a degree of ardour that ensured him an almost unparalleled success in sixteen eighty he received from the faculty of Rheims the degree of doctor of medicine and a degree also conferred on him in sixteen ninety nine by the university of aberdeen in the year sixteen ninety one his reputation was so high that the university of leyden solicited him to fill the medical chair at that time vacant he accepted the invitation and delivered a course of lectures at leyden which was greatly admired by all his auditors among whom were porhav and meade at the close of the session he set out for scotland to marry the daughter of sir archibald stevenson his friends in his own country would not consent to part with him, and thus he was reluctantly obliged to resign his chair in the University of Leiden. He settled as physician in Edinburgh, where he was appointed titular professor of medicine. His practice extended beyond example, and he was more consulted by foreigners than any Edinburgh physician either before or after his time. He died in October 1713, admired and regretted by the whole country he was a zealous supporter of iatro mathematics and as such a professed antagonist of the iatrochemists he refuted their opinions with much strength of reasoning while his high reputation gave his opinions uncommon effect so that he contributed perhaps as much as any one to put a period to the most disgraceful as well as dangerous set of opinions that ever overspread the medical horizon into the merits of the iatro-mathematicians mathematicians it is not the business of this work to enter they at least display science and labor and erudition and in all these respects are far before the iatro chemists perhaps their own opinions were not more agreeable to the real structure of the human body nor their practice more conformable to reason or more successful than those of the chemists Probably the most valuable of all Dr. Pitcairn's writings is his vindication of the claims of Hervey to the great discovery of the circulation. End of Part 21. Read by Paul King, Mississauga. HTTP pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward pkj.